What Solomon is doing is that he's explaining the meaning of life. And as we said in many times during this series, that that is really where we're, where we're going here. We want to understand this question of what is life all about. Now, some younger people may not ask that question, but I guarantee you as you continue to get older and you continue to grow, you will ask the question, what is meaning? What is meaningful in my life? So in, in our text here is Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. And, and we can dissect this view of life from a man who claims to have experienced it all. Now I realize that in the context of our world, it is perhaps difficult to conceptualize all of these different gifts, all of these different talents, all of these different things residing in one man. Especially in our world where we see so many gifted people and never see that one person who seems to have all of the gifts. Michael Jackson was a great entertainer. Maybe one of the greatest entertainers that ever lived. But he didn't seem too good with interpersonal relationships. Not with all of his gifts and his talents. He had a hard time in, in, in interacting with people. So this goes to show you that no matter how talented you are, nobody has all the gifts. But think about Solomon and all the things that he says he possesses. And so, so here was Solomon. He was unique. The son of a king raised in a palace and became a ruler himself. God endowed Solomon with more wisdom than any man who had ever lived and who has ever lived since that time. Perhaps through Solomon, God desired to teach us about life, its joys and its pain. As Frankie Beverly would say, it's sunshine. Oh, come on, somebody. <laughs> and rain. Let us, let us dive into this text. Let us, let us see this. In verse 1 of chapter 2, he says this. He says, I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. Sounds a lot like the man in the story that Jesus tells uh, where he says that, that the man who had many things said to himself, I have many goods laid up for many years. What should I do with all of my goods? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. So this verse in chapter one, in chapter two, verse one, is a summary verse of the entire passage, one through eleven. He starts with a conclusion, but behold, this also <clears throat> was vanity. So its conclusion is the beginning of this passage. Pleasure, he determined, this also is vanity. Remember that vanity means like a vapor or futility. The Hebrew word is abel, and that word means that it is not just dissipating or dissipates quickly. It can even mean deception, vanity, that which deceives us. There's a reason why, ladies, they call that mirror in your room a vanity mirror. 
<laughs> I'm walking on 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 eggshells here. Just I'm on I'm on careful ground here. But what is beauty? What is beauty if it is not vanity? Because what is the one thing that's really guaranteed to change about you, male, female, boy, girl, as you get older, it is the way we look. I was looking at a picture of myself when I was 15. That's a long time ago. <laughs> and I, I said, man, you know, I was standing there next to my brother Kevin. We had this picture and, you know, we just thought we were so cool. We just posed and we like this. tight-fitting shirt, you know, got the gun showing and all this stuff. And, and I'm like, man, ain't no way in the world I would take that picture now. <laughs> you know, what was a six-pack is now a keg, I'm just saying. <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's to understand that life changes, that beauty is vanity, it's deceptive, some people put their entire stock in their life on how they look. We spend billions of dollars in this country every year on cosmetics and beauty products. Oil of Olay says, I got a cream, ladies, that'll take all the wrinkles away. You know, I'll, I'll make you young looking again. And we buy it because nobody wants to, to age we all want to remain young. And so, and so Solomon, Solomon says this is futility. Vapor has an appearance of substance, but it's so quickly gone that it doesn't really amount to anything. Solomon begins this journey by determining he will test his heart with pleasure. In fact, Solomon isn't testing pleasure. Rather, he's allowing pleasure to test him, his heart. And to see if any of these pleasures that he's going to talk about in this passage satisfy his longings for meaning. Now let's look at some important truths as we, as we uh, look at our series here. First of all, understanding Ecclesiastes, we've got to understand that humanity was made for God. Look at your neighbor and say, you were made for God. Humanity was made for God. God took great joy in creating us all in his image and his likeness. We are the Imagio Dei. We are the ones that are, are bearing the image of the Almighty. We bear the image of the Creator. And no matter what you look like today, you are all bearing his image. What a wonderful God that creates such a kaleidoscope of people. We come in all different colors, shapes, and sizes, and all of this. What a, come on, let's give God praise for that. That's a, that's a great God. And every one of us is in his image. So if you have a problem with the way I look, take it up with God. Here's the other thing that we learn, that sin destroyed this relationship between mankind and God. 
Our disobedience destroyed the relationship that God had set up with humanity. The Bible says that before sin, God walked through the garden with Adam. Can you imagine that? Being able to to spend that kind of time in the presence of the holy. But sin broke that relationship. Destroyed it. Here's another thing we find out. Humanity was left to define meaning, not from God, but from what the world had to offer. We no longer, because of sin, could define and find meaning in life. And so what did our, what did our hearts do? Our hearts are full of desire. Desire is a natural thing. And I'll go into that later. But, but yet we couldn't find it in God anymore because our relationship with him was broken. So what did we do? We naturally looked for meaning in the world. So this. This is a part of sin's devastation. That we don't talk about very much. We don't talk about how sin. Drove humanity. To look for meaning. In the things in the world. Through our sensory perception. What we could hear. Taste, eat, smell or touch. That's how we tried. To find meaning in life. Now Solomon realized that to exist without God was an empty and hollow existence. He realized that without God, everything in life was like that vapor, that mist that the morning sun burns away. He realized that life was very deceptive without God. On one day, you can celebrate yourself as a picture of health. And the next day, your health can be gone. Or oh, I ought to have a witness there. <clears throat> <clears throat> so, so here we have, we have Solomon looking at verse 1 again. He says, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. He said that to his heart. But behold, this also was vanity. Solomon is allowing pleasure to run amok in his life. He is not testing pleasure, but pleasure is testing him to see if there is any meaning to be found in a life where pleasure seeking is the order of the day. In today's vernacular, we call this hedonism. Now, the definition of hedonism is this. Hedonism is a school of thought that argues that pleasure is the primary or most important intrinsic good. A hedonist strives to maximize net pleasure minus the pain. So a hedonist lifestyle is always about seeking pleasure. Seeking pleasure. Ethical hedonism is the idea that all people have the right to do everything in their power to achieve the greatest amount of pleasure possible to them. It is also the idea that every person's pleasure should far surpass their amount of pain. So far, it sounds pretty good, right? More pleasure than pain. Ethical hedonism is said to have been started by uh, Aristippus of Cyrene, a student of Socrates. He held the idea that pleasure is the highest good. Now, you you can understand why that would appeal to the human condition. Pleasure? Who doesn't want a life of pleasure? Is there anybody here that would turn down a billion dollars because you think that it would ruin your life? 
Well, maybe if you're on your high holy moment. <laughs> but if we catch you at the right time, when you're looking over your Nipsco bill, you'll be like, give me that billion. I'll take it right now, right? So Solomon begins this journey of allowing pleasure to test his heart. Now, there are four areas in this text by which he allows pleasure to test his heart. The first one is laughter. Laughter. Verse 2, he says this. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it now we all know what laughter is laughter is a temporary moment of happiness that elicits a certain verbal and physical expression somebody says something funny and you laugh most of us like to laugh how many people here like to laugh I show of hands we're going, yeah of course you like to laugh it feels good there is a whole cable tv channel called the comedy channel that's dedicated to making people laugh satellite radio has comedy stations that you can hear comedy 24 hours a day it feels good to laugh i sometimes see advertisements in the local paper for laughter therapy classes now you know that's a racket there isn't it I'm going to make money teaching people how to laugh. That's pretty good. <laughs> Come to class and just laugh. As a matter of fact, years ago, there was a, there was a so-called spiritual movement that, that said holy laughter. And people would come into the house of the Lord and just, ha, 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 They probably did it better than that, but... Y'all make fun of me. That's not how I, that's not really how I laugh. <laughs> we, laughter's good, isn't it? But here's what Solomon says. Solomon says it's madness. It's madness. Now, this is a moral evaluation. Much of laughter is morally perverse or done in an unloving way or at another person's expense. Think about how you were growing up. You, many times you were either the bully or you were the object of the bully. How many times did you make fun of people when you were growing up? How they look? My first day at Bishop Noel Institute, my first day, my mother had me wear some pants that did not come down far enough. We called them floods back in the day, right? I had my little school shoes on. We had to wear a tie. Had my tie on and some white socks. I looked like an advertisement for let's be a nerd. I know you can't tell that now about how swagged I am, but I'm just... Don't laugh at that. Don't laugh at me. <laughs> but back in the day, <laughs> Pastor Ray was dressed like a nerd. That's right. And so, and so people made fun of me. They laughed. And so I learned quickly 
to exchange the favor. Much of laughter is done at another person's expense. Laughter is also fleeting. As a matter of fact, Solomon in chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes will compare laughter to the sounds of twigs in a fire. You hear it, they're consumed, and it's gone. Laughter also very easily can mask deep pain. Some people are hurting deeply, so they use laughter and the attention it brings to hide their hurt. I'm going to take you back in time right now. In the 1960s, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles released a song called Tears of a Clown. And here are a few lyrics that will illustrate this point. Smokey says this, now if there's a smile on my face, it's only trying to fool the public. But when it comes down to fooling you, now honey, that's quite a different subject. But don't let my glad expression give you the wrong impression. Really, I'm sad. Oh, I'm sadder than sad. You're gone and I'm hurting so bad. Like a clown. I appear to be glad. Now there are some sad things known to man, but ain't too much sadder than the tears of a clown when there's no one around. And he says this, now if I appear to be carefree, it's only to camouflage my sadness and honey to shield my pride. I try to cover this hurt with a show of gladness, but don't let my show convince you. That I've been happy since you are afraid to cry. So laughter, laughter can be something that makes us feel good. It is really a temporary and fleeting thing. Nobody laughs all the time. And if they do, it might be because they're just afraid to cry. Robin Williams was a funny man. He made millions laugh with his antics and his jokes. Mork and Mindy, but he committed suicide. Richard Pryor was one of the funniest comedians who ever lived. He held nothing back in his comedic practice. He cursed and made you laugh at his cursing. But throughout his entire life, he battled, he battled a vicious cocaine addiction that limited his career and his finances while also doing irreparable harm to his legacy he ruined six or seven marriages depending on how many times you want to count the wife he married twice it's hard to remember Richard Pryor and not think of those negatives so Solomon here says laughter is fleeting but he now moves on to the next thing what's the next thing the next thing was alcohol and drugs. Watch this now. Verse 3 says this. I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. If there's one area, hedonistic indulgence that is destroying Many lives today. It is the abuse of alcohol and illegal drugs. These take the mind into an altered state. We call it drunkenness with alcohol and getting high when it comes to drugs. This altered state 
is popular with people because they, the, these, these altar states allow a false escape from reality. You think you have escaped. You think you've gotten away from your problems. But it's all just a big setup. While not condemning it, Solomon is well aware of the dangers of using a drug to alter your sense of reality. Look at what he says in Proverbs 20 and 1. He says, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler. Now, maybe some of the craziest fights you've ever been in or seen is when people have been drinking. You have been, before you got saved, I know, I'm just... I know you're holy now, but, but in your days, in your B.C., in your before Christ, can you remember going to some of these parties and fights break out because people just drunk? It seemed like we always had that one friend that just would not know when enough was enough. So you stop hanging around with them because you'd be like, they fight too much. So he says, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is, is led astray by it is not wise. Now, if we would take a serious look at how many people use alcohol as an attempt to soothe themselves from the rigors of life or take mind-numbing drugs simply because real life has become difficult, we would see that we are a society that has a real inability to deal with life and or we are simply only believe that life is to be about seeking the most pleasure available. That's hedonism. Some people can brag about wanting to move to Colorado so they could buy their weed legally. I bet not get an amen there. <laughs> I mean, let's be real, y'all. This marijuana thing, this weed thing is destroying yet another generation and the church remains silent and unfortunately even joining in. Now just let that marinate there. We got Christians going around talking about, hey, ain't nothing wrong with weed. It's from the earth. God gave it to us. <laughs> the problem is this is still all vanity. It is still vapor. Literally, it is in the case of weed. But vanity or temporary nonetheless. You may be high, but you have to come down. Isn't that right? People with great riches and seemingly everything they could want were destroyed, chasing the scourge of drugs and alcohol. Michael Jackson, accidental overdose. Elvis Presley, overdose. Marilyn Monroe, overdose. All people that we know, we can go down the list. They look like they had everything in life, but they could not stop taking drugs, and their lives were destroyed. It is all vanity. So Solomon moves on from alcohol and he, he, he comes to this thing called wealth and possessions. 
He says in verse 4, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I made male. And I had male and female slaves. And I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possession of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. It is hard for us who do not possess the great wealth of Solomon or wealth in general, perhaps to understand just how rich Solomon was. The Bible describes Solomon as the richest man ever. Solomon today would have destroyed the Forbes list. He'd have been laughing at Donald Trump and Bill Gates and all of them talking about how much money they had. Solomon, you don't even know money like I know money. The Bible says that Solomon had 600 and something shekels of gold that was given to him every single day. Throw some in my way, Solomon. But, But that's how rich he was. Solomon's take on all of his wealth. What question, what did he say about all of his wealth? He said, it is all vanity. Wealth is deceiving. Many people who are wealthy would say to you today that it's not what you think it is. Imagine that great wealth and the people that you would have to trust in your life people that you maybe don't even know you would have to trust in your life to to keep up with all of your money because if you did it yourself you'd have no time to enjoy it solomon understood wealth and he said it was all vanity here's the last thing that solomon said was so fleeting for him so vanity so much vanity and that's sensual pleasures he says i got singers both men and women And many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. I had people singing to me day and night. Solomon was a renaissance man, a man of art, music, and sensual pleasure. He filled his palace with full-time singers and musicians. And we are so accustomed to having music in our houses via iTunes or Pandora. It's around us all the time. We can't even imagine the musicless world that the ancient people lived in. To hear music, you had to have your own personal symphony or your own personal band. Can you imagine being so tough in, 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 in the ancient world where the temptations just came and played at your house? You know, Ario Speedwagon was at your house. You know, the great bands of the 70s and 80s were only at your home. And that's how it was. Nobody else had music like Solomon. Solomon said, if musicians need a job, they came to the palace because I had all the music. It also says here that Solomon had many concubines. This is perhaps what we best know Solomon for. And he's always talking. We don't even talk about his wisdom. We talk about how many women he had. (laughs) Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That is astonishing. That kind of number, if you had one every day, it would take almost three years before you got around to the next one. 
I mean, imagine that kind of sensual life. But we have to realize that in the ancient world, wives and concubines were a sign of king's wealth and power. The more concubines you had, the more wives you had, the more powerful you were. So here was Solomon, the most wise person to ever live, a great king in Israel, and he played the sensuality game. 700 wives. There are men out here looking at me right now. 700? It's hard enough to make it with one. Amen, somebody. Brothers, you take that and multiply your, your experience, I'll put it like that, times 700. <laughs> no wonder Solomon wrote things like, it's better to live on the corner of a rooftop <laughs> than in a big house with contentious woman. I didn't say that, y'all. Solomon wrote that. And I'm going to take his word for it. <laughs> That's what he says. He, he, he had many. It was wealth and power. Now, you look at our society. It is as sexualized as it's ever been. The Internet streams the, the digital concubine by the thousands to any who want to look. Sex is portrayed in pop culture as the one human experience that will satisfy every longing that we have. You can't see a commercial without sex being in that commercial. I remember years ago, and I've said this before, what does a woman in a bikini have to do with me buying a muffler? <laughs> but that's, that's our society. Everything is about appealing to sensuality. Yet for all of the sensual pleasures available, what do promiscuous singles and married people eventually discover about the sexual experience here's what they discover after all of this after trying all of these things after being promiscuous in your life after doing it as much as you want to do it here's what you discover it's all vanity it's a vapor why it doesn't last the next morning always comes and with it the stresses and problems of life you may wake up and said i had fun last night but nipsco is not going to release you from your payment because how much fun you had last night do i have a witness there huh the next morning always comes the lover leaves the sense of intimacy fades so what is solomon's Conclusion about pleasure as a meaning. <clears throat> in verse 9, he says this. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. <clears throat> also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended doing it. And behold, here's his conclusion. All was vanity and a striving after wind. 
and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Nothing came from this. Solomon concluded that there was nothing worthwhile in all of his pursuits of wealth, of of mirth, of happiness, of drinking of wine, of, of pleasure, nothing. So what do we then conclude? What is God saying to us through this passage? He is saying this. As believers, we conclude that Jesus is better than hedonism. Let me say that again because I don't know if y'all really believe that. We conclude that Christ is better than a joy or a a pleasure-filled life. We conclude that Christ is better than seeking of pleasure. In fact, in fact, I will throw this to you. Is there anything better than taking joy in Christ? Those of us who have tried other things in life, now that you are in Christ, is there anything better than Jesus Christ in your life? Can anything top Christ? Pastor John Piper describes this joy by teaching that desire is a natural human trait and we were made to desire God. Many have criticized his view about this, but here's his basic conclusion right here. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most no people people see the glory of God in your life without you having to really open your mouth when you are satisfied with Christ singer songwriter Pharrell Williams wrote a popular song called happy and he said you ever feel like a room without a roof I'm happy and and I don't know what Pharrell was using as his catalyst for such joy and happiness in his life. But I do know what songwriter Charles P. Jones had in mind when he wrote these words, there's nothing so precious as Jesus to me. Let earth with its treasures be gone. I'm rich as can be when my Savior I see. I'm happy with Jesus alone. I'm happy with Jesus alone. I'm happy with Jesus alone. Though poor and deserted, thank God I can say, I'm happy with Jesus alone. He says in verse 2, he says, when sinful and doomed to a life of despair, no light on my pathway to shine, t'was Jesus who found me and made me an heir to mansions of glory divine. I'm happy with Jesus alone. I'm happy with Jesus alone. Though poor and deserted, thank God I can say, I'm happy with Jesus alone. He says this in his final verse. He says, when nothing but death for my ransom could pay and make me accepted with God, t'was Jesus who freely himself made a prey and ransomed my soul 
with his blood. I'm happy with Jesus alone.